Today's sermon is a standalone sermon. You know I like to preach uh, verse by verse through books of the Bible, most recently the book of Hebrews. We'll return to that, God willing, next Sunday. But this is a special Sunday with the reopening of our sanctuary. And I wanted to mark that occasion with a special uh, sermon that's a standalone sermon, as I've said. And the title of the sermon is Reopening Our Sanctuary, Reopening Ourselves. We do thank our Lord for his faithfulness and goodness to us as a congregation to allow some of us today to be back in the sanctuary where we have loved to worship you and be equipped to serve you over many years. And as has been mentioned, uh, since March the 15th, we've not been allowed into this special place for corporate worship. This sanctuary, as you probably know, but in case you do not know, this sanctuary was lovingly and sacrificially built by the first members of our church in 1962, and they did everything they did to build the sanctuary to the glory of God and for the love of Christ, that the gospel would go out from this place to the people of this church, to this city, to this country, and ultimately to the furthest corners of the earth through our missionaries. And as we uh, come today, I want to acknowledge uh, the pain in my heart that as happy as I am that you all are here, I have a pain in my heart because I miss my brothers and sisters in Christ, very much a real part of our family that are not able to be here over 65 years old or those with uh, infirmities that compromise immunity. We miss you who are viewing online. We love you, and we want to welcome you back just as soon as we possibly can so that all the family of God called Calvary Bible Church can be in a celebrative state of unified and full attendance worship no matter what our age is. And we long and pray for that day to take place. That being said, by way of introduction, uh, when you look at both the Old and the New Testament, you see the actual places that have been identified for congregational worship are special special to God, and they should be special to us. In the Old Testament, the tabernacle was a place of worship that God prescribed that was a tent meeting place for worship. It was a tent, so it could be moved. That tabernacle was used by the Jews for 484 years in worship. They started using it in 1450 BC at the time of their exodus out of Egypt, and they stopped using the tabernacle in 966 BC when Solomon's temple was built. So for 484 years, that was God's place of worship for his people. After the tent tabernacle was Solomon's temple, built by King Solomon, also known as the first temple. The building of this temple took 20 years from 966 B.C. to 946 B.C. It was a magnificent temple, marvelous in every way. And it was used by the nation of Israel for 359 years for worship. Its completion took place in 946 B.C., and it was used until its destruction by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon in 587 B.C. And then after Solomon's temple was destroyed by the Babylonians, then for 71 years, think about that, for 71 years the Jews had no temple when they were in captivity in Babylon, no temple. 
And then after God ended the Babylonian captivity for the Jews, the Jews got back into Palestine, their land, and when they did, they built the second temple. The second temple is also called Zerubbabel's temple because he spearheaded the, the construction project to build it. The second temple was completed in 516 BC, and then it was used for 446 years until it was destroyed by the Roman army in AD 70. And since the destruction by the Romans of the second temple, right up to today in 2020, the Jews have had no temple. That's 1950 years and counting that the Jewish people have not had a, a, a localized, recognized temple wherein the Jews of the world could come to worship. That's the way it stands right now for the Jewish people. Now, as I go into this sermon, I want to start by saying it should be pointed out that now born-again Christians, uh, sisters in Christ, brothers in Christ, you, me, now that uh, we are born-again believers, we are temples of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit resides in us. And so that has to be said. But at the time of the building of Solomon's temple, which is called the first temple, that took 20 years to build, Solomon obviously prayed in a public fashion for the dedication on the opening of his temple, God's temple that God had Solomon build. Solomon prayed. And in 2 Chronicles in the Old Testament, in chapter 6, we're going to pick out some verses, not the whole chapter, but some verses from 2 Chronicles chapter 6 that show us four ways that the King Solomon prayed when his temple to God was opened and dedicated. And these are four ways that Calvary Bible Church can pray, not just today with our sanctuary opening, but in the new uh, time and history of our church when never before in the history of this church has this sanctuary been closed anywhere close to this length of time. It may have been closed occasionally for a severe hurricane, but it's never been closed for 15 weeks like it's been closed due to this virus. And so in a sense, we're in a new chapter of our church history. We're in a new uh, era of Calvary Bible Church. And so what I'm going to teach you that Solomon prayed and what I'm going to teach you that we should pray is something that we all should pray regularly now that we're in this new chapter of our church's history. So four lessons about prayer, looking at King Solomon's prayer when his temple was dedicated to God. The first thing we see is in verse 14. And in verse 14, this is part of King Solomon's prayer when the temple was dedicated. And he said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like thee in heaven or on earth, keeping covenant and showing loving kindness to thy servants who walk before thee with all their heart. The first way that the king prayed as he dedicated the temple back then, the first way that we should pray in this new chapter of Calvary Bible Church's ministry is that we should pray that we all will completely walk with God. Not 50% of the time, over 50% of the issues, but 100% of the time, walk with God. 100% of the issues in our lives, walk with God. After all, God is worthy of this obedience and devotion. 
I mean, he's utterly unique. There is none like unto our God. He's utterly superior. There is no force of wisdom, no force of power, no force of control that's greater than him. He is supreme in every single way. So we are to pray to completely walk with him. God keeps his covenantal promises. To, he will to the Jews who uh, heard of those promises in the Old Testament and who will see those promises ultimately fulfilled, yet future. But he also keeps a promise of the new covenant to us to give us a new heart, a fleshly heart, not a stone heart. So we pray to completely walk with God. And in so doing, we recognize as we pray to completely walk with God that we are his servants. He is not our servant. We are his servants. So when we pray to completely walk with him, we acknowledge we do what you want us to do, God. You don't do what we want you to do. And the heart of the matter is the heart. When Solomon prayed that to thy servants who walk before thee with all their heart, the word for heart in Hebrew is lab, L-E-B. And lab was not the fist-sized pump in the Hebrews' chest that circulated blood in their bodies. It wasn't a literal heart. It was a launching plaid heart. It was the place where a Jew's ambitions and hopes and faith were launched into the practicalities of life. And so when we pray to God, I want to walk with you completely. When our church prays, God, we want to walk with you completely. We're saying that in the launch pads of our individual hearts, we want to have God as the target of everything we say, do, and think. For his glory. Because he's utterly unique and utterly superior. The second way that Solomon prayed after he prayed that the Jews would completely walk with God, he prayed that, and that we ought to pray, that we will confirm God's word. That we will confirm God's word. Verse 17, still praying. Now therefore, O Lord, the God of Israel, let thy word be confirmed, which thou hast spoken to thy servant David. The Word of God is just that. It's the Word of God. It's not an ordinary book. It was written over 1,600 years by 40 different human authors moved by the Holy Spirit. It has one plot line, one story of redemption. It's, the, it's a marvelous, true, and living Word of God. It's inspired. It's truth. And so we ought to know it. We ought to love it. We ought to live it. We ought to pray it. We ought to build our lives upon it. We ought to tell others what it says. You do know that some lost persons, some people in our city and country and world who are lost and not yet saved by Jesus Christ's wonderful cross work, the only Bible that some of those people are ever going to read until they're saved is the Bible according to you, your life. Some people are reading you as God's word, how you react to disappointments, how honest you are in transactions, what your attitudes are toward others, especially the poor and the disenfranchised and the needy. And so for some lost people without Jesus Christ, the only Bible they're reading is not this Bible. It's the Bible according to you and me. 
And so God's word, written word that is the Bible, needs to be confirmed by how we live it. What's one of the greatest objections to people coming to Christ and coming to the church is that the church people are hypocrites. They've been reading us as the only Bible they've been reading and seeing a discrepancy between what they know is in the Bible and how we live. And so we ought to pray, as Solomon prayed, that we will confirm God's word with our lives. Now, you do know, I think, that confirming the Bible is more than studying it. Confirming the Bible is different than identifying its contents. Studying the Bible is good. Identifying its contents are good. But that doesn't confirm the Bible. Do you know what confirms the Bible? When you study it, understand its contents, and then live it, then it's confirmed. Then it is confirmed. Let me illustrate When you go to the grocery store, the prices are confirmed at the cash register. (laughs) How many times have you thought the shelf price was the price you took to the cash register, and the cashier says, no, that was wrong. That's an old shelf price. The actual price for that is such and such. Prices of groceries are confirmed at the cash register. Or, (laughs) I'm trying to lose some weight after COVID, and... uh, I have a scale at home, and I step on it every morning, and I weep and gnash my teeth. (laughs) But my actual weight is confirmed, not on my scale in my bathroom, even if I buy an expensive one. But when I go to see my doctor for my physical, and he says, Pastor Elliot, please step on the scale. And then what the doctor's scale says is actually my weight. And the doctor's scale confirms my weight, not a scale I bought at Walmart. Or you book a flight, and you get an e-plane uh, plane ticket, and you have this electronic plane ticket, and you go to the airport the day of your flight, and you put it down, and when the agent for the airline looks at your e-ticket, sees everything is in order, then she issues, issues you a boarding pass. There is a difference between identifying things and confirming things. There's a difference between identifying the contents of the Bible and confirming those contents in how we live Monday to Saturday. And so, we are to pray as Solomon did. We are to pray that we'll completely walk with God. We're to pray that we will confirm God's word. And third, we are to pray that we will confess our sins. We've been given an opportunity in this service to do that. Confessing is admitting that our sins are sins. We should pray that we will confess our sins that we will repent and turn from our sins, and that we will walk, now watch this, in God's one good way. You do realize that God has one good way. That's what his word says. Verses 26 to 27. When the heavens, Solomon's still praying. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against thee, and they pray toward the place and and confess thy name and turn from their sins when thou dost afflict them, then hear thou in heaven and forgive their sin of their servants and thy people Israel. Indeed, watch now, teach them the good way, not a good way. Teach them the good way in which they should walk. 
one good way. Teach them the good way which they should walk. The one good way that all of us should be walking on is identified by Scripture, not by Oprah. The Bible. And so we are to pray like Solomon did, that we would confess our sins regularly, we would repent of our sins, and we would walk in God's one, one good way. Now, confession of sin without a 180-degree turning away from sin is no confession at all. It's lip service. Talk is cheap. It falls short of real confession and repentance. We should admit our sins, but we must not stop there. We must admit our sins and then with God's strength and enablement, turn from our sins. If my sin is over here, it's not enough for me to acknowledge to God, yeah, that's sin, and then stay there. I have to admit that sin, confess that sin, and with God's help, turn my back on it and walk away from it. And so Solomon prayed when he dedicated his temple, and we should pray with the opening of our sanctuary, one, that we will completely walk with God. Two, that we will confirm God's word. Three, that we will pray to confess our sins, repent of our sins, and walk in God's one good way identified by one, God's one good book. And so we go on. The fourth and final way that we are to pray, at least for today, out of this prayer, Solomon prayed back then, and we ought to pray going forward, that we will reverence God. Verses 29 to 31, Solomon's still praying. Whatever prayer or supplication is made by any man or by all the people of Israel each knowing his own affliction and his own pain and spreading his hands toward this house, that is the temple, then hear thou from heaven thy dwelling place and forgive and render to each according to his own ways, whose heart thou knowest, for thou alone dost know the hearts of all sons of men, that they may fear thee. Reverence. Do you fear God? I had a glass top stove, one house I lived in. The only way you would know the element was still hot after you used it on a glass top stove was there was a little light that warned you that whatever burner was still hot. That little light burned out once for me. And my uh, cornflakes were in a cupboard over my stove that I could barely reach. And so I put my hand on the glass top stove on the element that was still hot. I respected that glass top stove after that. I got the light fixed to tell me when it was still hot. And I didn't touch that glass top stove until I knew that all four burners were not hot. We must understand who our God is, a consuming fire, holy in all ways. And we must respect and reverence him and seek to live in holiness so we make him to look as good as he truly is. And so Solomon prayed, and we ought to pray, that we will reverence God. 
Now, Solomon talked about each person in the nation of Israel knowing God. This is personal. This reverencing of God is personal. I can't reverence God for you. You can't reverence God for me. And it talks about, Solomon talked about each person praying. It's not that those persons got lost in the crowd of millions of Jews when that temple was dedicated. It was as if they all were praying when Solomon was praying, their king. And so when we have a pastoral prayer today or most every Sunday when we gather, you can enter into my prayer and you should enter into my prayer from your heart. You ought not to be a spectator or a judge of my pastoral prayer. You should enter into it in faith. Maybe something I pray makes you think of something you should pray. And while I'm praying, you should pray for that matter. That's okay. God will hear you. He's not confused. And so, and then it said, each knowing, so it's a personal reverence, each praying, so it's a, a public and a unanimous reverence, and each reverencing, um, not reverencing idols. The persons who watched the dedication of Solomon's temple were not to have idols in the camp. Do you remember Ai and the decisive battle, defeat, because... Under the tent floor of Achan was booty from Ai that was not to be taken. He was hiding the gold and the jewels and the things he got from the battle. And the blessing of God was constrained and choked off for the whole camp. We are not to reverence recording stars. We are not to reverence athletes. We are to reverence God. And it says in verse 40, Solomon in his prayer acknowledges that God hears. Verse 40, Now, O my God, I pray thee that thine eyes may be open and thine ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. Solomon knew that God was listening to the prayer, but he was asking out loud for God to listen to the prayer, to remind the millions of Jews who were there at the temple's dedication that God hears not just their king's prayers, but God hears their prayers. And this reverence of God, this reverential fear of God that we are all to have is a daily walk thing. It's not a words thing. It's not lip service. Talk is cheap. It's how we choose to live. And you know, when it comes to this fine church family, both those viewing online today and those here live and in person, when it comes to the incredible body of Christ called Calvary Bible Church, the whole of the church is made up of all the parts. The whole of our testimony is made up of your testimonies. The whole of our ministries are made up of your personal ministries. The whole, the whole of our salt and light in a decaying Bahamian culture is the salt and light that each of your lives are added up. The whole is all of the parts. <laughs> so I don't introduce you. I don't introduce my friend. This is my friend Lungs. He has lungs. This is my friend Lungs. I don't take a part of a friend I want to introduce to you and say, he's lungs. Yeah, he's lungs, but he's also a liver. He's also a brain. He's also all the other parts of his body. And so 
We must remember when it comes to this issue of reverencing and respecting God as we ought that the the way that Calvary Bible Church, the, the degree to which Calvary Bible Church reverences and obeys and respects God is the sum total of how you all and I reverence God. It just takes one of us to go out this week and to show a reckless disrespect of holy God and it'll get around. Believe me, it'll get around. This is a small town. It's that serious. And so Calvary Bible Church is all of us, from the youngest child to the oldest senior. Calvary Bible Church is not our buildings. We thank God for our buildings. We've got a lot of building. But it's not Calvary Bible Church. And it's not even the ministries of our church that is Calvary Bible Church. Calvary Bible Church is the ecclesia in Greek. The ecclesia is the called out ones, people, persons, not called out buildings, not called out ministries. The ecclesia is called out ones, all of you, me, all of our church family watching online. That's Calvary Bible Church, called out ones. And so the church is persons, not programs. It's believers, not buildings. Yes, we sincerely and uh, resoundedly thank God today that some of us are here today in the sanctuary to worship. And as I've said earlier in this message, I long and pray for the day when all of us can be in this sanctuary, not just those under 65 without comorbidities. I long for that day. Now, I want to say something to what I've said earlier as I wrap up this sermon. Again, let me say that I am well aware that now in this dispensation, the church age of grace, that we all as believers in Jesus Christ are the temples of the Holy Spirit. I fully understand that. God, if you're saved, God lives in you full time. Never goes on a trip of vacation from you. Never gets evicted by your sin. We are all temples of the Holy Spirit if we are saved. But saying that and looking around this sanctuary, the building, and I've had a chance to look around this sanctuary for 15 weeks without anybody but media, a guitarist, a pianist, and a song leader. And it brings something into sharp focus for me. And maybe you experienced this after you walked in here today. This is a hallowed place. This place has been consecrated in the years past to God for him to use this place for the furtherance of the gospel, the equipping of saints to do the work of the ministry. Some of you who are here today or or watching online, this is the hallowed place where you were saved. Or this is the hallowed place you were married. Or this is the place where you dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ your babies or your very young children. Yeah, baby, amen. That's good. This is the place, the hallowed place, where you were baptized as a believer. Or this is the place, the special place, where you were officially welcomed into church membership or where you were commissioned to do certain Christian ministries, prayed over, 
This may be the place where you brought the, the body of your precious loved one in a casket. And it was placed respectfully at the front of this sanctuary. This is a hallowed place. A special place. This is a place that we ought not to take for granted. A place that we thank the Lord for. A place that we make a priority in our week to get to. But all that being said, may our physical return to this sanctuary not just reboot the air conditioning, but may our physical return to this beautiful sanctuary reboot our Christian lives, reboot our servitude to Jesus Christ, reboot our devotion and love for the Word of God, enhance and strengthen our love and ministry to one another. In a very real sense, my prayer this week has been that the reopening of this beautiful sanctuary that is hallowed would be in conjunction with us reopening ourselves to God. If we're hitting a reboot on sanctuary worship, and we are, the Holy Spirit wants to hit a reboot on my devotion to Christ. And it's true for all of you. Do you feel that? Do you sense that the Holy Spirit's wanting to do a new thing, a deeper thing, for the glory of Jesus? Would you please stand with me? You may feel that with six feet between you and the next person, that you're somewhat alone and on an island in this time, but you are not. Um, you are very much a portion of the body of Christ this morning. And God wants to do business with each of us this morning. Um, and I'm going to pray. And I invite you to enter into this prayer uh, with sincerity and with uh, asking of the Spirit of God to do a work in you. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this time in your word. And we do pray that we will completely walk with you, God. Show us if we have not been completely walking with you. And Lord, we pray that we will confirm your word by our lives. That we would not be anything short of standing on the promises. Forgive, forgive us if we've only been sitting on the premises. And Lord, we pray that we will regularly confess our sins as they become known to us and then repent of them and then to walk in your one good way. Lord, we find your one good way by being in your Bible, 
may we each be in your Bible. And last, Lord, we pray that we will reverence you, have a holy fear of you that translates into worship and holiness. Thank you for what you've accomplished in these moments. Thank you for the privilege of being here in this physically in this sanctuary. Dismiss us shortly with your blessing, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.